Well, hello, and thanks for listening in to our weekly teaching podcast here at City Church. We are a church in the Knoxville area that seeks to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you're in Knoxville or ever visiting Knoxville, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people here in the city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com slash give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can drop us a line at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Great to see you guys this morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, or boot up your app, whichever you prefer. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time this Sunday, we're kind of at the tail end of our series called Church is a Family. And this series, we've been kind of unpacking the idea of how God intended the church to function. And specifically, how God intended our interpersonal relationships within the church to function. So very first week, we explained the most popular metaphor in the Bible to describe our relationships with one another is a family, is a biological family. And we kind of even spent a little bit of time talking about how the word family kind of meant a little bit different than what we think of family today. And so far, we covered that this family is called to love one another, to fight well, to reconcile with one another, to pray for one another. And today, we're going to look at the purpose of God making us into a family. What is it that we have been given to accomplish and work toward together? And this is a big one because it comes from Jesus' final words to us as his disciples before he ascended to heaven. So before we look at exactly what those words are, I want us to pause and just think about the idea of final parting words. Your last words to someone should be significant. It should carry some meaning and, and matters of importance. Like your, your last words to someone should not be, don't forget to floss. Your, your last words has an impact on your legacy, on who your life was all about. And we see this in movies and books. So look at Charlotte's Web. You have been my friend. That in itself is a tremendous thing. Winnie the Pooh. How lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. Helen Keller, so long as the memory of certain beloved friends lives in my heart, I shall say that life is good. Or the movie that's etched into our souls for its hauntingly beautiful music, Promise Me Rose, and never let go of that promise, Jack Dawson, Titanic. And we all remember what Rose did with that. Or another famous classic, I'll Be Back, Terminator. And he delivered. He kept coming back, probably one too many times. My main point is this. Last parting words are significant. And all the more, if it's Jesus' final parting words with us, it would not be much of a stretch to say this is what he wants us as his disciples to not only remember, but center our entire lives on. So let's take a look at it. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Which, if you're wondering, this is how you say Jesus is Lord in first person. Jesus said, I'm in charge here, and here's what I want you to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So there it is. Jesus' parting words to us as his disciples are to go and make disciples. And the most accurate translation for the word disciples in our day would be something like an apprentice. 
Your goal as a disciple is to apprentice under Jesus to become more like Jesus. Historically, Jesus called this passage the Great Commission. It's a pretty straightforward one. Go and make disciples. Go and help other people to become more like Jesus. Now the question is how? How do we go about doing just that? Let's look at verse 19. Go therefore. In light of who Jesus is and who he's called us to do, he says, go therefore. Now several scholars have noted that based on the original language, it's actually better translated as something, as you are going, make disciples. Meaning, as you're going about your everyday life, make disciples. Meaning, making disciples is not something you need to do to take um, a break from everything else you're going to do. So you don't need to quit your job so you can make disciples. You just need to understand that part of your job is to make disciples. It's something that everything else you're doing is for. Your job exists to make disciples. Your friend group exists to make disciples. Your hobbies exist to make disciples. Making disciples is not something you add to everyday life. It's the purpose behind everything in your life. So I think that's important for us to understand because so many people I know feel like they don't have the time to make disciples, but according to the Great Commission, Jesus is not saying making disciples is about how much time, free time you have. It's actually about how you think about everything you are already doing. So think about with me how Jesus made disciples. He made disciples as he was walking along the road, traveling from town to town. As he was sitting and having dinner with people, as he was interacting with religious leaders, he was making disciples throughout all of that. Jesus didn't say, hey, we need to take a break from eating dinner with people. We need to take a break from traveling from town to town so we can make disciples. He just saw opportunities to make disciples everywhere in the things he was already doing. Jesus didn't see discipleship as something he had to take a break from everyday life to do. He saw discipleship as something everyday life was for. He saw all the things he was already doing as the perfect environment for making disciples. And I see this on a weekly basis, and uh, and actually in one of our pastors' life, Marcus. um, Every week, he grabs lunch with the guys in his life group. And I was talking to Marcus about it, how did this come about? And Marcus just said, well, I'm planning on eating lunch on Tuesdays. And I realized the other guys in my life group also happened to plan on eating lunch. So I just decided that we should all eat lunch together. It was a really novel idea. So every week, that's what they did. All the different guys in his life would bring their lunch to his office at UT, and they just get together and eat lunch and talk about all different things. They talk about life. They talk about sports. They talk about the second coming of Peyton Manning. I don't really know, but they just kept talking about life and different things. But through that rhythm, they got a glimpse into one another's life. They actually get to speak into one another's insecurities. They actually get to speak into ways that can better encourage one another, helping one another take their next step towards Jesus to become more like Jesus. So I want to ask us all this question. Is this this how we see our lives in all of our relationships? Uh, I'll ask an even more difficult question. If everyone in your life group contributed to other people's spiritual growth exactly like you do, what would the health of the group look like? If I could sit down with your life group leader and ask them, is your life group more or less healthy because of this person's presence in it, what would they say? If I asked the people in your life group who has contributed significantly in their relationship with Jesus, would your name come up? I mean, that's somewhat of a revealing way to look at it, isn't it? 
I'm not trying to heap shame on any of us in here. That, that's really not the goal. What I'm actually trying to do is help us think critically whether or not we're making disciples right now. Now, I know some of us really want to make disciples, and we just don't know how to go about it, and, and that's something we're going to talk about near the end of the sermon. But I do want to say, if you don't even want to make disciples, if you don't even desire to do it, then it might be that you're not a disciple of Jesus yourself. Because being a disciple of Jesus is, means making disciples like Jesus did. Let's keep going on verse 19. Making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now this is an interesting part of the passage because it kind of opens up the pool of who we can be making disciples from, which is pretty much every human being on planet Earth. By Jesus saying, disciples should be made of all nations, he's saying that they are now to make disciples of anyone and everyone. And by saying that the first step is baptizing them, he implies this, which is really important for us to get today, that even if someone hasn't decided to follow after Jesus, there's still a potential disciple to be made. Making disciple means helping someone to follow Jesus better, but it can also mean helping someone begin to follow after Jesus in the first place. Making disciple means helping people grow in their relationship to Jesus and helping them begin a relationship with Jesus. Now, there's definitely uh, differences of how we go about it. Generally, a disciple making conversation with someone who doesn't follow after Jesus should look different than someone who already does. So here's, here's what I mean. If you get together uh, for lunch with a coworker, Joe, who doesn't follow Jesus yet, and you go, today, Joe, during our lunch, I would like for us to talk about progressive sanctification. Joe's going to get up, he's going to take his lunch, he's going to eat lunch with someone different. One, because you're weird. Second, that's just not where he's at spiritually. That's just not where he's at. But that doesn't mean he's outside the category of someone to make disciples from. You could probably still ask him, hey, Joe, how, how, do, you de- how do you deal with the frustrations at work? And then you can begin to talk about how you deal with the frustrations at work in light of who Jesus is. You can probably ask him, hey, Joe, how, how's your relationship with your wife if he's married? And you can talk to him about what your view on marriage is in light of who Jesus is. The conversation is going to look different than someone in your life group who already follows after Jesus. But don't miss this. It's still discipleship. Those conversations are still important. It's just discipleship at a different stage. Making, disciple, making disciples is anything you do to help someone to become more like Jesus, even if it's someone before they truly um, know who Jesus is. If they don't know Jesus, that just means the first step for them is to know Jesus and helping them to take that step. So when you start follow after Jesus, you begin to see every relationship in your life as an opportunity to make more disciples. Every relationship is a potential discipleship-making relationship. Every conversation is a discipleship-making conversation. We're called to make disciples of all nations. So next verse, teaching them. In order to make disciples, you have to teach them something. It's right there in our passage. Part of making disciples is to teach. You have to actively offer them something that they didn't have before, and that takes intentionality. It's going to take effort on your part. It's going to take you listening well. It's going to take you for you to respond well with the things that people talk to you about. It's going to be willing to ask follow-up questions. It's going to take effort. You actually have to engage with people as you take part of this process. Now, I know some of us in here, when we hear the word teaching, 
you kind of start panic a little bit. Uh, you kind of think to yourself, well, I don't really know much to teach. Or I, don't, I don't think I have anything to offer to anybody. But here's the important part I want us to catch as we read this verse, um, as we read the rest of the sentence. What does it say that we are to teach people? Everything we know? Everything that we're already practicing and embody perfectly? No, it's, it's everything Jesus commanded us. So hear me out. What we're called to teach people are not things that we already know perfectly or we live out perfectly, but rather everything Jesus has said, which means your ability to disciple other people, is, they're not limited to the only stuff that you know and do perfectly. It could be anything Jesus has commanded us. So if you don't feel like you know enough to teach somebody, talk to them what you're currently learning from the Bible. If you don't feel like your life is well put together enough for someone to model, that's okay. Teach them something that you're kind of in a book that you're reading lately and you're still processing, you're still trying to learn in light of. Talk to them about a podcast that you're listening to about following after Jesus. Not knowing enough and not being perfect enough are not good reasons to not make disciples because ultimately it's not necessarily what we know or we're teaching. It could be something that we're still learning ourselves. And if your response to all that is, well, I'm not, not really learning much of anything right now, so I really have nothing to offer. Okay, but maybe we shouldn't neglect one part of following after Jesus because we're neglecting another. The response isn't, I can't make disciples because I'm not living as a disciple right now. The response is, well, let me start living as a disciple so I can begin the process of making more disciples as well. So imagine your car mechanic come up to you and said, hey, your brakes are about to blow up. You've got to change out your brakes. And you respond to that with, I haven't changed my oil in six years, so let's, let's not mess with the brakes. It's actually, no, we've got to do both pretty much right now. Back in South Carolina when um, I was one of the pastors there, um, I met a, a friend, his name is Willie. Uh, Willie was in a homeless situation. He's been addicted to cocaine for the last 30 years. So needless to say, Willie had an incredibly hard life. So he came around us, he got into a life group, and he started to learn what it looks like to follow after Jesus and start taking steps in that. One week, the guys in Willie's life were, were talking about and confessing um, their problems with porn and lust and everything. Uh, Willie walked away from that conversation realizing that's something he also wants to do, that he also wants to repent of so he can start to look more like Jesus. So the next week, Willie showed up to life group and told everybody really excitedly, hey guys, um, I realize this is something I need to repent of. Um, so I got rid of all my porn. And then Jesus, I mean, uh, Willie literally said, I have no use for this stuff anymore, so I gave it to my friend Nicholas. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, Nicholas accepted the entire porn collection, and eventually Willie realized that wasn't a good idea. But as Willie started coming around more and more, started um, participating in life more and more, he realized these are things that we do to take steps and to follow after Jesus, to look more like Jesus. And six months after the porn collection incident, uh, Willie was serving um, on the host team on the sun at a Sunday gathering. And by the end of that gathering, Willie noticed there was a woman sitting in the back by herself, kind of just sobbing. At, um, so he walked up to her and just sat next to her and started talking to her. Um, Willie just looked at her and said, I bet you had a hard life. And the woman nodded, um, and Willie said, Let's, let's trade stories. So they did that for the next hour. They're just sitting there in the back talking about the pain and suffering they have experienced in life, um, the abuse that they have, each of them have experienced, um, the pain that they have caused on other people's life and the shame that came with that. So they were just swapping stories in the back of the auditorium. And at the end of that conversation, we looked at the woman and said, 
I'm far from perfect. I, I'm rough around the edges. But the people of this church have accepted me. I think they will accept you too. And if they accept us, I think Jesus who died for all of us also have accepted us. Jesus used Willie to disciple that woman tremendously that day. And it wasn't because Willie got his act together or got a degree in Bible, um, because, because it wasn't because of any of that. Willie was just teaching what God was currently teaching him. He was just sharing what, moment by moment, what Jesus was kind of doing in his life with the people that he came in contact with in his own way at the stage he was at, Willie was just making disciples. Now, I wonder sometimes if we're intimidated by the concept of teaching other people, it may not be centered around that we don't know enough about the Bible. I wonder if it's because we're, we're intimidated because we're actually not sharing life with other people deeply enough to actually teach them something. It's hard to teach someone if you don't know where they're at and what they need to hear. So perhaps maybe some of us here today, we need to take a look at our calendars and look, am I actually sharing life deeply with people so we can actually speak into their lives, hopefully? Next verse. And behold, I am with you always. So as we endeavor to do all that Jesus said to do in this passage, we absolutely cannot miss the promise that empowers all of it, that he will be with us even to the end of the age I want, to look at, I want us to look at what Jesus said in John 15. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus is talking about here bearing fruit. He's making the point that our ability to bear fruit comes directly from us abiding in the vine, abiding in him. He says that on our own, by our efforts alone, we can do, and I quote, nothing. The ability to successfully make disciples and help other people to become more like Jesus comes from Jesus and not from ourselves. So in order to get anywhere and making disciples, you need to realize that Jesus was the only perfect disciple maker. Jesus executed everything about this process flawlessly. He knew exactly when to speak and when to just listen. He knew exactly when to ask questions and when to make assertions. Jesus was the perfect disciple maker. And you need to know that God is no longer taking that application for that position. If you have committed to following after Jesus, you get credit for his perfection in it, which is good news for all of us. Because I promise you, as you start making attempts to make disciples, uh, often it's going to be a little bit awkward, sometimes frustrating, sometimes it's tiring, and at times overwhelming. And if you're adding to all of that the pressure to be perfect, it's going to be incredibly crushing for you. So hear me on this. God does not need you to perfectly make disciples. In fact, he actually doesn't need you, period. He can use anyone to make disciples, and even you making disciples is actually him making disciples through you. He just asks you to simply join him in the process to abide in him and allow him to work through you. That's what we're abided into. So why? Why was Jesus parting words to us this, to make more disciples? Why is this so important to Jesus that we take part of this process. 
because it's actually a reflection of, of Jesus' entire life. He left the comforts of heaven to come to us. He made it his own responsibility for our spiritual well-being. And he took that responsibility all the way to the cross so we can be made right with our Heavenly Father. This matters to Jesus because he came on a rescue mission to save us into God's family, to join him in that mission. So it only makes sense that his last words to us is, go, continue this mission, don't stop. Continue the process I have started. Join me in that mission, continue to make more disciples. So on that note, before we close, I want to give you a few quick tips on how to kickstart this process. Some of you probably already have some ideas uh, kind of running through your head, some questions you can ask people and some particular things you can do to help other people to look more like Jesus. For others of you, you just feel like you have no clue where to start, and that's okay. If you're in this category, try this one simple thing. Next time when you're with another follower of Jesus, ask him this simple question. What is something you want to grow in? What is something you want to grow in? Just ask that question. Now be prepared. They might not be ready to answer that immediately, and that's okay. But once they do answer, do a couple things. First, ask the question, how can I help? Or maybe you, you may notice immediately a way to help. Write that down. And here's the catch. Actually follow up with them. As you share life with them, continue to bring that up. Ask them how that's going. Ask, continue to ask the question, how can I be helpful in this process? Set a reminder in your phone to check in with them regularly and start praying in that as well. Now, those things aren't all discipleship is, but doing those things will, will create an environment where discipleship can happen. So if you don't know where to start this week, start there and pray that God will breathe life into it. So as we kind of continue our, this series, I, I want us to remember, yes, one, we have been given a new identity. What, what Jesus has accomplished on the cross for us is that he made us right with our Heavenly Father, and he also made right with one another that we've been adopted into God's family. We gained new brothers and sisters. That is a beautiful identity he has given us, and it's all by his works, and it's all by grace. But I also don't want us to forget with that new beautiful identity, he actually given us a new meaningful purpose as well with that new identity, which is to make disciples of all nations. So let's, let's get after that. Because it's going to be the good for our city, it's going to be good for our church family, and it's also going to be for our own good as we take part of this process. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you care about us so much that you're willing to send your son to die for us. And it's only by his sacrifice that we're made right with you, that we're made right with one another, so we praise you for that. And as we walk in this new identity, would you help us also grow in under, the understanding of the purpose um, you have given us as well? that you've given us a mission, that you also care about the other people <laughs> that you have placed around us, that you want all to come to know you and be in, in right relationship with you. We need your help in that because we cannot do that on our own, so we ask your spirit to work through us. We ask that you help us to abide in you. 
You're good? Thank you that you're a God that's not content with just us, that you can, you're, you're not satisfied with just us, that you want more and more people to be adopted into your family. Um, and thank you for inviting us into that mission. It is a beautiful purpose. It is a meaningful purpose. Thanks for listening. As many of you guys know, we are in the process of renovating and moving into a historic church building located on the Tennessee River right in the heart of Knoxville. If you regularly benefit from this podcast, we would love to extend the invite to you to consider giving to those renovations. If you're interested in finding out more, head to citychurchknox.com slash building.